Thank you, Lydia, very, very much. It's great to be here with all you ladies, and I'm glad you all found parking places. I'm going to ask at least three people to walk back to my car with me because it's the end of nowhere, but um, I don't think I'm too strong if I had problems at night by myself. So, um, But it is a delight to be with you. I remember um, from last week and a few other times I've been at the gathering <clears throat> that the speaker... <clears throat> Uh, excuse me, normally says a little bit about herself, and so I'll say a little bit about myself. Um, I have three kids who are certainly no longer kids, um, but they're kids to me, and two sons and a daughter, and uh, oldest son, Matt, and his family uh, live in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is where I was for Thanksgiving, and that was fantastic. I have three grandchildren, all um, from 21 to 28 years old, who live in Salt Lake, and then I have a second son, Jason, who lives in Cambridge, England, and has for over 30 years. Shouldn't send your kids to study overseas because bad things happen or good things, I guess. Um, and uh, Jason and Fiona have two children, Seth and Maisie, and Maisie is 24, a school teacher now, and Seth is 21, uh, still in university. And then my daughter, Shannon, thank the Lord, lives here in Salem uh, with her family. Uh, three kids who are also terribly grown up, a 20-year-old son, grandson to me, and then twin granddaughters, 18, um, who are, one's off to college in Washington, D.C., the other is on a gap year and leaves for... Patagonia in Chile the end of January. So they're very scattered. Uh, but that's my family. And uh, Salem has been my home since 1976. Um, so a long time. And I love it here. I love it. I didn't love it a whole lot today, but you know, it was a little rainy. <clears throat> I'm so delighted with the theme for this year's gathering, uh, the 23rd Psalm. Um, how many of you memorized the 23rd Psalm when you were kids? So did I. So those of us who raised our hands, many of us could probably say it in the King James Version, right? Because <laughs> uh, that's all we had back then. I'm so ancient that that's all there was. And uh, so we memorized it that way. And I can just say that uh, the Lord has been my shepherd through every season of my life. And I recently, in my quiet time with the Lord in the morning, was reading uh, Psalm 136, which is a fantastic psalm where the psalmist says something great about God and what God has done. And then he says, the faithful love of the Lord endures forever. Um, and I, I found myself reading that psalm, and then I just started doing that with my own life. And I was walking through all the different parts of my life and things that have happened even in recent um, days, weeks, months, last few years, and kept saying, the faithful Lord of the Lord, love of the Lord endures forever. And I feel like um, the, the great shepherd of our souls is so incredibly faithful. And as I walk through the seasons of my life, um, I think of how he has shepherded me through those seasons. <clears throat> One of the advantages of getting older, <clears throat> excuse me, is that you can look back <clears throat> and you can see how God 
saw you through something, something that may have been a joy or something that may have been a great challenge. And I thought about how the Lord shepherded me through um, marriage and all the early years of marriage where there are so many blessings and there are challenges as you learn to live together or the seasons of three different pregnancies and the Lord's faithfulness to me, or the season of a couple miscarriages, and I would declare to you the faithful love of the Lord endures forever. Or I thought of the season of overwhelming grief. Oh, thank you. That's great. Thank you, Valanda. Of overwhelming grief when my mother died suddenly when I was in my 20s. Um, Or I think of the season of moving across the country from St. Louis, Missouri, where I had lived my whole life until my husband and I moved out here when I was 33 years old and left behind uh, an extended family that was brokenhearted and how hard that was. And think of then of when my uh, daughter was just four months old, youngest child, uh, launching a major ministry here in Salem. And I go through these seasons of my life and I say, the faithful love of the Lord endures forever. Or I think of this season of graduate school, commuting up to Portland four and five days a week and studying nonstop. Or the season of being up, the unbelievable privilege of being a pastor here at Salem Alliance Church for 26 years. And the season of being the first female to preach and the challenges that were implicit uh, with that and the criticisms that went with that and all, the, uh, all that goes along with some big changes in life like that. And how the faithful love of the Lord endures forever. Or I think of the season of widowhood, and I've now been a widow for 22 years already. And all of the changes and all of the heartaches and all of the loss that that represents or this season now of retirement and of getting older <clears throat> and how life changes. And, and I can no longer play tennis like I used to play. My knees just won't let me do it and I can't run that fast anymore. Or uh, no longer being able to play golf because I've got a bad shoulder. Oh, darn it. I love those things. Um, but the faithful love of the Lord endures forever through every season of life. And he has been my shepherd through it all. And I have every confidence in the world that you could say the same in your own lives. And I hope you're able to look back and say, God was with me in that. And God saw me through that. I find it um, just so inspiring and and beautiful that the first self-descriptors that God gives us of himself in the Bible are found in Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. And to me, they are a picture of his shepherd heart. And he's speaking to Moses, and he says, and I've taken out part of the verse, but I'll give you the essence. The Lord replied to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will show mercy. I will show compassion. And so therein we see God describes himself as good, as merciful, as compassionate, And as we look at him in Psalm 23, certainly we see all of those qualities just shouting at us of his goodness, of his mercy, and of his compassion. 
Um, Psalm 23 um, reminds us of what we were taught last week by Jennifer and um, about what a shepherd does. The shepherd has, has his um, staff, and he uses that to guide people. And thankfully, because of God's compassionate heart, he guides people constantly. It's not something we get once in a while. He's always available to guide us, just like a shepherd guides a sheep. Or a rod, the rod which was used to protect um, from wild animals or for other problems for the shepherd taking care of his sheep. Or then we come to the slingshot, which I don't think was mentioned last time we were here. But you think of David, who was a shepherd and then became a king. But, but how did he kill Goliath, right? With a slingshot. Because that's what he used it to uh, to, I don't know, kill bears, kill lions, whatever. Um, he used a slingshot as well. And we, so we see the heart of a shepherd, which is to love and to protect and to care and to be compassionate and to be merciful. <clears throat> and I must say, Sue, I'm so glad that you're able to be here tonight. Um, those of you who are not able to be at the gathering last month, you really should listen to Sue's testimony. Um, it was so incredibly inspiring, and it was the words of a woman who has clearly walked deeply and profoundly with God and studied him through his word. Um, as Sue talked about how he is shepherding her through her terminal illness diagnosis with a uh, frightening lung disease. And she talked about how her shepherd has been taking care of her and how, how it is scary to think of losing your capacity to even breathe, which I, I can't even imagine, Sue. But how the Lord has given you a free tri trip to the beach with your husband to get away from all the medical stuff and all of the things that are everyday life for you and have a break. Or how the Lord, you said, your shepherd has given you a friend to process medical decisions and to listen to your emotions and, and just grieve with you, I'm, I'm sure. Um, and I, I loved when you said, Sue, that um, you're not afraid of death. You're afraid of or, or dread the journey to that point, but you're not afraid of, the, of death. And that made me think um, through this last month about Revelation 7.17, which talks yet again about a shepherd. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. This is heaven. He will lead them in springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I love that image that we have that our God is here not simply to shepherd us through the every day of every, every day of every of our lives, but also to be there when we get to heaven. That is the heart of God. That is who he is here. That is who he is in heaven. The Lord is our shepherd on earth and in heaven. Um, I did something really strange. Probably you all will some of you, maybe, maybe all of you will think it's pretty strange. But um, in August, I, I'm a planner, and I decided that I was going to go over to City View Cemetery, which is where my husband is buried, and I was going to make all of the arrangements for when I die someday. 
so my kids don't have to do it after I do die. Okay, so I, I went in and I talked to them and spent an, a couple hours and we made all, all the detail it out. I wrote the check. It's all taken care of. And I hadn't told any, any, either of my three or any of my three children that I was going to do this. And then about a month later or so, I was with uh, my daughter, Shannon. We went, um, we flew across the country to visit her daughter, Claire, in Washington, D.C. at college, um, which was, a, was fantastic. Um, but uh, we were sitting having lunch one day. We'd been to tour the White House. We'd been having so much fun. And we were laughing about all kinds of stuff. And I said, I just have to tell you what I did a few weeks ago. And I said, um, I went over to the cemetery, and I made all the arrangements for when I die. And their eyes got as big as saucers. <laughs> You what? And, and I mean, they know this crazy mother is a planner, but um, that was a little over the top. And I, I said, well, you know, I've had to do that for family members, and it's hard to do. So I decided I didn't want you to have to do it, and I'll take care of it, and you can just go on with your lives and whatever. Um, so... My daughter, thankfully, has a great sense of humor, and she bursts out laughing about the whole thing. And so we sat there, and we laughed for a long time about various aspects of it. And because Shannon cares about aesthetics, my daughter, and I care about aesthetics, I said, you know, I've chosen the granite, and it's, it's not exactly like Dad's, but it's going to blend really well with Dad's. And, and I, 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 I told them what I want to have written on my gravestone, and um, and. I and and they said, well, what are you going to have written on your gravestone? And I told them some of it. And I said, and then I chose this verse that I saw on a gravestone when I was on a mission trip um, in the Middle East a number of years ago. And I was in Jerusalem and went to a cemetery of some uh, people in ministry. Many of them were pastors and, and missionaries and what have you. And on one of them um, was a scripture from Philippians 1.21, which said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And that has just stayed in my heart for like the last 20 years. And I thought, I think it's such a powerful description by Paul that to live is Christ, but to die is even better, really. Um, so I, I said this verse, and my granddaughter looked at me with horror. And I think she thought I was saying it's going to be better to get away from you or something. I'm not sure. But it made me stop and think, is that what I really want to have on the gravestone, if that's disconcerting to her? And so as I've been pondering um, Psalm 23 for the last couple months, um, I decided, and you'll have to go to my grave someday and see if I stick with this, but anyway, I decided on um, Psalm 23, uh, verse 6, surely your goodness and mercy will follow me, but mine will say, have followed me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in your house for house of the Lord forever. Don't you think that's good? I think that's good. I think Claire would like it better. So anyway, that's not final. It's not in granite yet, but... <laughs> But I tell you that because I love Psalm 23. I love the picture of God, our shepherd, here and in eternity when we get there, Sue. So this month, I finally get to my verse. I'm sure you're saying, wow, it's about time, which is verse 2. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside still waters. And then I don't have verse 3, but then it says, he restores my soul. So he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters or quiet waters, and he restores my soul. Green pastures. For a shepherd, that's critical because these sheep have to eat, right? But the Bible, of course, is said in the Middle East where in the summer, in the fall, and even late spring, it can be very, very dry. And it's a lot of work to move from pasture or place to place to find some grass that a whole herd of sheep can eat. And so a shepherd has to move along and move along and move along um, because it is so dry. But then the winter rains come. And in the rainy season, the grass, obviously, like it does here, greens up like crazy. And the sheep can stay put, and they can graze, and they are safe, and they are secure. Um, you think of the fact that um, if you have to move sheep around a lot, that you're always trying to find a safe place for them. Because um, not only do you need uh, food for them, good grass for them to eat, but you also need water. And so this little verse that we have tonight talks about leading the sheep to quiet waters. And that is critical. You don't want sheep going along the Metolius River in Central Oregon and being washed into the river when they decide to get a drink, right? You need them by quiet waters, a still quiet creek. Or in the Middle East, with a shepherd would have to go to a well and probably take out bucket after bucket after bucket in a dry season to get enough water for his sheep. Um, or maybe if things were really going well, he would find a spring that they could come by. But it wasn't easy because quiet waters were critical to their health and to their safety. Um, and as I reflect on this concept of wonderful green pastures and quiet, beautiful water to drink. It made me think about a couple years ago when I was over visiting my son and, and daughter-in-law and two grandkids in uh, England, and um, we went up to what's called the Lake District of, of England. It's in northwest England, and it, it makes the Willamette Valley not look lush. It is that lush, that green, and it's mountains, all green mountains, not peaks like our peaks, but um, green mountains and, um, and gorgeous grass everywhere. We, we went into our Airbnb, and across this little, um, I'll call it a road, it was a very small road in front of it, across from us was a pasture full of sheep. And they were so happy because there was so much green grass. And there was a nice little creek on the other side of their pasture. And they were laying down in the grass. Or then they were standing in the grass eating. And it just gave me such an image of this part of the 23rd Psalm. Um, the gift of quiet water, lush green pastures. Because in that kind of a place, the sheep could be renewed. And so could the shepherd, because he doesn't have to work as hard. They're safe. They're in a good place. They have food. They have water. Um, and it's such an image of how God wants to renew our souls and fill up our souls and draw us ever closer to himself. And so I've 
contemplated how we do that and how what a gift it is in a church like ours where you can come to a place like this, the gathering, and your soul and mine can be filled up. Or I think of women's retreats, of which I've attended dozens and dozens over the years and spoken at a bunch over the years, not just of our church, but elsewhere. And you always come away from a retreat exhausted physically, but filled up in your soul, right? Or I think of the gift of community together in a life group, or I've been in a life group, I do lead a life group Bible study. I've been in Bible studies for 49 years straight. I've never not been in a Bible study, I guess, except for summer months when we just get together socially a little bit. But how God feeds my soul in that place and how he feeds your soul in a small group community or how on the weekends when we come to church, how we can come and feel like I don't really want to go to church today. I don't feel like being around people or whatever you may feel. Um, And I don't know about you, but I never fail to leave without feeling closer to the Lord and lifted up in my soul. Because the Lord takes us to quieter places or special places to feed our souls. And the more we feed on the Lord in those places, the the more we know the Lord. The more we know the Lord, the more we trust the Lord. The more we trust the Lord, the more peace we have. The more peace we have, the easier it is to listen to the Lord as he directs our lives. And on and on and on it goes. The Lord longs for us to spend time with him. And I believe with all my heart, he longs for us to spend alone time with him as well. To make space for God in our lives. I find it interesting when you look at this verse 2 of Psalm 23 that... In some translation, it says, he makes me, or in my old King James, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures and lead me beside still waters. He makes me. But in the New Living Translation, it says, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He lets me. It's a very different kind of feeling. It's sort of a I'm not going to make you. You have a free will. <laughs> and, and you get to choose in for those quiet spaces or not. And maybe you're like I am. Some days you wish he would just make you. <laughs> make you slow down, be quiet, be still. Um, I don't know how many of you in this room um, have done the Enneagram that I'll call it a personality test. I don't really know exactly what it's called, but I've taken it uh, a number of years ago. And um, if you know me, you won't be in the least surprised that I'm a number three, which is an achiever. So I'm productive by nature, right? Always have a list going in my head. Always have a list going on the kitchen counter. I always think, oh, do I need to water the, the plants? Oh, I need to go out and rake the leaves. I mean, there's always, I have this productivity bent that is crazy. Um, and it's my biggest enemy in many ways to slowing down, being still, and making space for God. Um, but our God, our shepherd, invites us longs for us to head into green pastures and still waters with him. 
as you go through the scriptures and see the different passages about shepherds, one that I'm sure we all love, if you've heard it, and probably all of you have heard it, is the familiar Isaiah 40, verse 11. God tenderly leads his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs to his arms, and he carries them close to his heart, and he gently leads those who have young. What a picture of a shepherd who is full of goodness and kindness and compassion and mercy. He tends the flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. That's what God longs for us to do with him, to make space for him. Not just in group, although that's fabulous, and I'm quite sure it delights his heart, but alone with him. And so we've put some table talk questions um, uh, on your tables for you to talk about and discuss for about 10 minutes or so. Why is it so hard for us to protect quiet space, alone space with God? And you'll see the questions. One of them looks at uh, ask, asking one another and thinking about what are the cultural obstacles? Um, what are the life obstacles to being quiet with God? Uh, could be could be little children. It could be um, just a constant social media onslaught. There's a lot in that in that whole subject. And then the second part is what are some of the obstacles to letting ourselves be quiet? Just letting ourselves be quiet. So how about if you talk about it? Because my heart is that if we talk about it, we kind of recognize those things and maybe we can learn to make space for God in our lives a little bit better and quiet down and rest in the shepherd's arms. So you chat for a while, please. We would love to hear from a few of you what your some of your thoughts were about the distractions of life, the things in your own lives or the things in the culture um, that have been hard. And our table swung around to things that have worked, have helped. So maybe you've gotten some of that too. So who would like to share some ideas that came from your table? Whatever table, doesn't matter to me. I don't know who said that, but go for it. Oh, that hand that's up. That's great. That is great. It's so helpful to have audio things, though. I love, I walk a lot, and I love to listen to podcasts, especially Christian podcasts, and, um, and then an audio Bible. Uh, that's, it's fantastic to be able to pull that up with your Bible app and just listen to a passage as you're walking or as you're doing laundry or as you're folding laundry or as you're doing dishes or whatever. Those are great ideas. Um, how about over this table back here. Any thoughts back there about kind of what makes it hard in our culture or in our own lives to be quiet, get space? Uh, but yeah, that's, that's great. Could you hear the, the challenge of if you sit and you're quiet, you somehow face some things that are in your life or struggles that you're having or how you aren't as quiet with the Lord as you maybe want to be and I don't know guilt gets in or can always get into all of us because the enemy's great at beating us up with guilt but um, yeah so we distract ourselves and keep ourselves from getting into that quiet space it's true 
Anybody else? How about social media? Do you think that's a problem? I mean, those texts never stop dinging if you've got the phone on or, or if you've got the sound on or, um, yeah, and you feel like you've got to answer it urgently because people expect answers instantly anymore. And I don't know. I think that's a, that's a real issue. <laughs> it's a real issue for all of us. Um, yeah. Yes. Louise. Okay. If you stay up too late you, and getting up early is harder and it's not as meaningful because you're wanting to be asleep. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. It's really true. No question about it. And there are seasons of life, right? If you've got young babies like this beautiful infant being passed around this table back here and, <laughs> and uh, if you've got young children and um, I was telling my table how I used to jump in the shower as a way to get away from younger children. Um, and, um, and how even there, I, you know, little two-year-olds, I have to go potty, mama. You know, so it's hard when you have little people at home to get uh, space with God, that's for sure. But would you say that your souls long for it? Um, because when you're able to quiet your heart, quiet your soul with the Lord... Um, it may take a while. It may take a lot of wonderful Christian music playing in your home or in your yeah, AirPods or something, um, but it quiets our souls to have meaningful time with the Lord. And in a sense, it's just heartbreaking when we deprive ourselves of that gift because the Savior wants um, to be with us. And he's a tender-hearted shepherd who understands every one of our barriers <laughs> And is longing to help us push them away just to have, maybe it's 10 minutes. Maybe it's 15. Maybe it's five. Maybe it's when you get to drive in the car. We said the car is always a good place if you don't have three children buckled in seatbelts somewhere. But um, other ways to, like that, to just get some space and talk to the Lord. Don't turn on that radio or anything else, but just quietness. Um, do I see your finger raised, Mabel? Yes, they're good. Or no, well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's good, Mabel. So in the middle of the night, if you waken in the middle of the night to take advantage of that time, I find it to be a phenomenal prayer time. Um, and uh, so, yeah, take advantage of those moments. That's for sure. Well, the shepherd wants to meet with us, and he knows that we need him. <laughs> We need him to shepherd our lives and help us through. I have all long, long, long loved uh, Matthew 9, verse 36. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he has compassion on us because he knows we need him to shepherd our lives. Um, when I was around 30 years old or so, I, well, I'd gone to church my whole life. It wasn't until I was 30 that I really prayed 
to have the Lord become the full leader of my life. And when I did that, I was like this instant hunger to know how can I follow you if I don't know you. I have to know you better. I have to know you better. I don't know what it would look like otherwise. And I knew that the only way to do that was through the scriptures. And um, I, the, the day that I prayed that prayer to give him the leadership of my life, I got up off of my knees and I had this insatiable hunger for the word of God. But I had simultaneously the intimidation. The only Bible I had at that time was my little Bible with my maiden name on it, Barbara Renner, and it's in King James Version, and I would try to read something, and it just made no sense to me, or didn't make much sense to me. And so I took myself to a, a Christian bookstore. I mean, there were virtually none in the day. This is back in 1972. And um, I found this book... That is um, Beloved World, it's called, The Story of God and His People by Eugenia Price. I've still got it. It's ancient, but it's available. I looked on, uh, on uh, Amazon, and it's still available. It's a novel story of the entire Bible. And it was a godsend to me because it helped me in novel form put together the whole flow of Scripture. And, and I, it's on your table on a book list, but I would recommend that to anybody because we do want to know our God. We do want to know our shepherd. And this was a tremendous help to me. Then the next thing I got was a study Bible, um, which I don't even know. I mean, there are so many study Bibles now, but this was about all that was available. And it had a bunch of footnotes, and it helped me understand things because I could go to the footnote and help figure it out. Out. And then I joined a Bible study fellowship back in St. Louis, which is an in-depth Bible study class. And I got to learn more and more and more. But I had to intentionally look for things that would help me not be intimidated by the scriptures so that I could read the scriptures and be blessed by them and get to know the Lord so, so, so much better. Um, as I was pondering this history and remembering these books. I honestly didn't even know if I still had this book, so I was going through every bookshelf in my house looking for it, and then I thought, how many Bibles do I have in this house? It was, I stopped counting at 16. Um, so I have a lot of Bibles at my house. Um, so if you ever want, I won't loan them, though, because they mean a lot to me. <laughs> and they have think, writing in them. Like, this one is the one that I had when, my hus when I lost my husband. And it has a rubber band because it's the only thing that holds it together. Because it was, I was desperate, absolutely desperate. Or um, another thing that I, that I entertained myself, I found this. This is from back in 1972, and apparently I was still doing some crafty things. And made covers for Bibles and ribbons to hold them together. So there's that one. Then I had a little New Testament. I did the same thing. So I could, I remember, I kept it in my car so that if I was somewhere and had a few minutes, I could read some of the scriptures. And it, did, it was just in the glove compartment. Um, but I also found um, this Bible, which is called, it's a one-year chronological Bible. And I... I think I did make it through in a year, but it was, it's a 
ton of work to read the Bible in a whole year. I mean, I think it's a ton of work. It's a lot of time to read that much every single day. So you don't have to read it all in one year like it says. But what it does is put the Bible together in chronological order so that if something is happening in the history of Israel in the Old Testament, then you're reading um, the, the preacher, the prophet that spoke to them to try to help them, right? So that's what a chronological Bible is. But I, if you don't have a study Bible, I would say to you, get one. <laughs> and they're in paperback form. You can get one for $25 on Amazon. Ask for it for Christmas. But is such there are so many helps available. And I, as I said, I was desperate for the Lord. I wanted to know him. And, um, and he has met me through all these different wonderful translations we have now that make, make his words so much more readable. And I said it before, I'll say it again. The more we know him, uh, the more we trust him, the more peace we have, the more comfort we have, the more we hear his voice. Because as Sue was saying at our table, if we don't know the Lord and we don't spend time in his word, the reality is we don't recognize his voice as much. Um, And the Lord longs, longs, longs to speak to our hearts by prodding us to do this or encouraging us to say that. Um, or saying, why don't you sign up for that? It should bless your heart or your life. Or I remember one year, a friend and I decided we would memorize John chapter 1 together. And that I still have John mostly me- one memorized mostly. It took me... It took us a long time to do it, to be honest. Um, But it's in my heart. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And it's the most incredible chapter. And I'm so glad. You know, so there are little things. I wouldn't have done it by myself, but I would meet with my friend every week. And we'd say, okay, we're going to say the next verse. We can do this. Um, So you can do it. You can do it as well. Um, I think of the word habit um, and how many habits we have in our lives, like the way we may fold our laundry or the day of the week we do our laundry or however we organize a grocery list or don't organize it or whatever our habits are. Um, And I checked in Webster's, the definition of habit is a behavior pattern acquired by frequent repetition. A behavior pattern acquired by frequent repetition. And I thought about, okay, well, I have some new habits. Like for the last, I don't know, five years or so since I've been retired, I walk a lot. So I try hard to walk three miles five days a week. I didn't walk anywhere today. It was pouring buckets of rain, but um, except from the parking lot way over there. So I got a few steps, but not many. Um, And then I thought, okay, and then I have this new habit that's probably just this year of drinking iced chai tea lattes. So that's that's way too expensive to go and buy. So I discovered you can buy chai latte at the grocery store, and then you just add your own milk, and you're so good. Um, But it made me realize it's never too late to start a habit. It's never too late. We start new habits all the time if we really recognize that's what they are. Um, It's never too late to start a quiet space with God, uh, space to connect with him. And I remember, well, I used to get up very early in the morning because that was the only way I could do it. It was the only way. 
Um, it helps that I am more of a morning person than a night person, so I feel sorry for you night people. It's harder for you. Um, maybe your time is when everybody else has gone to bed, though, because you're a night person, and you can enjoy 15 or 30 minutes with the Lord at night. I would get nothing out of it <laughs> at night, but I can in the morning. Um, and I think of all the years of working and, and having a family to take care of and everything, and um, how it was hard. It was hard to get in space with God. And I would, I, I probably spent 15 to 20 minutes at the most on any given day and never on weekends. That was chaos. There was just too much going on. Right. And so, um, yeah, that's life. That's life. But we need to establish habits. Um, and, uh, one of the, I will say the greatest blessings of being retired is I can have quiet time. I can, I can, I, it's a rare day I don't spend 45 minutes or more with the Lord in the morning. And living by yourself, that's even easier, right? Nobody interrupts you and so forth. So uh, it's a, maybe it's selfish, but I love every minute of it. And um, so at this season, I'm using this Bible. Well, I, this is my, I'm just starting my fourth year with it. It's a two-year Bible. So in two years, I will have read the Bible twice. I mean, four years, I'll have read the Bible twice. But I love it because it's got um, an Old Testament reading. It's got a New Testament reading, <clears throat> a psalm, and a proverb every day. And so if you get mired in some horrible part of the Old Testament, you can get to the New Testament reading and, and the psalm. And your heart is like, okay, thank you, God. That's great. Um, so I just encourage you, if you're struggling and finding quiet space, to ask God to help you launch a new habit. Um, and if you're struggling with something that inspires you, start asking around, what do you use? Maybe some devotional that somebody uses that would really bless your life as well. Um, I've, I, I know for a fact in my life that it's when I'm alone and quiet with God that he truly speaks to my heart. And uh, so, like, uh, about two months, three months ago, I was working on my Bible study, um, and it was early in the morning, and it was a Bible study on peace, and I came to the scripture, Romans twelve eighteen. insofar as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. And I started thinking, Lord, who, do, who am I not at peace with? And the Lord brought to my mind the name of a man who... Um, had wounded me uh, about 10 years ago um, and had um, said terrible things about me as a leader and about a ministry that was very dear to my heart that I was leading and uh, said it all over town. And, and, and it, I was shattered um, that, and he quit the ministry. And I was devastated. I said, Lord, I have sought to have leave, live a life of integrity and why would you let this happen to me and my whole reputation being trashed like that? And, um, and so about three years after it happened, he sent me a two-sentence note of apology, which, which at the time uh, didn't feel real genuine, to be honest. Um, but um, it was what it was. And the Lord brought him to my heart, and he said, I want you to walk in peace with him. And um, so I contacted him, and I, I sent him a text, and I said, would you get together for coffee with me at Starbucks? 
Um, I would love to see how you're doing and how your family's doing. And um, after about a week and a half, I heard back from him, and he said he was willing to do that. So uh, we got together and spent an hour together, and I got all caught up on his family and um, didn't talk at all about what had happened in the past. Um, but I just said at the, at the very end, I said, um, you know, what you did was really devastating to me, but I'm fine. I'm thriving. That ministry is thriving, and I'm fine, and I'm glad your family is doing well. And I left with peace in my heart. And now if I see him in the grocery store, I wouldn't veer to a different aisle. You know, you've probably done that maybe in somewhere in your life. Um, but if I had not had space with God, if I had not had Holy Spirit speak to my heart, and I've known that verse for years, but believe me, I wasn't using it in the context of that man um, until um, about two months ago. And the Lord brought healing to my heart. And I think definitely healing to the relationship. As I said, Jim, I'm not looking to get together all the time at all. Um, but I just wanted to make things right between us. And so the Lord restores us when we are in quiet spaces. And he brings healing to our hearts and guidance to our lives and hope where we are hopeless. Because the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. He will let us lie down in green pastures. He will lead us beside the still waters and he will refresh, refresh our souls and our relationships and anything else we need in life. So Father, we thank you that you are a kind-hearted, tender shepherd. You're a God who will not let us get lost, just I think how the sheep, if even one is lost, you say in that parable to go look and look and look. And how you pursue us, God, we thank you with all our hearts. How you treat us with loving kindness, and you know when we struggle to have space with you, and you don't guilt us, you just invite us back. You just invite us back. And Father, I pray that um, for these dear women, that when they open your word, that it will come alive. That Holy Spirit, you will give understanding where there's never been understanding before. You will give insights. You will give encouragement. You will give um, guidance. And you will give hope. So Father, we pray that you would meet us in the quiet spaces, whether it's five minutes or two minutes or ten minutes or driving in a car, or listening to music, whatever it is. We just long to hear from our Savior, from our Shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.